You may be seated. What a joy it is to be with all of you. I haven't had a chance to meet you. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Central City Church. We're uh, just striving to be a, a network of small faith communities engaged in bold mission and uh, faith. And uh, this is our first uh, week uh, having two services. Uh, so, we're, you know, we're, uh, our church has, uh, has a worship here, and we have small groups all over the city, and uh, a mission specifically through Little Bottoms Free Store in Franklinton. And, um, uh, but even just this worshiping community here isn't, isn't big, but our space is even smaller, and so we've been full for a while. And so it's been a process to move to a place where we could create some more space and uh, for more people. So thanks for coming to our second service where uh, the last one uh, turned out God showed up. So I'm just hoping that happens again today. I think maybe it already has, and uh, we're really grateful for that. If you're a guest with us, super glad you're here. We have a gift for you. We'd love to get you. It's a, just a mug with uh, some information about our church as well as a free cup of coffee to Stoffs, um, and so you can stop by and grab that. On your seat or on your table, there's some information about our church, what we call a little uh, update next steps, and it gives you some ideas on how maybe to live out your faith in the current series we're in. And then there's also a Connect card. If you're new, we'd love to follow up with you. Thank you for coming. Um, but also, if you hear something today uh, that you want more information about, you got a prayer request, if there's some, you're like, hey, I want I want to respond to that, connect cards for you. You can do it, uh, turn it in in a couple different ways. If you have time, you can do it when the offering basket goes around, you just place it in there. Um, but you can also, if you get it, get to it later, you can drop it in the Dropbox, uh, which is back behind Garrett there. Garrett Wave, yeah, right there. Nice Dropbox. Um, uh, and so you can put that in there um, uh, on your way out or sometime after the service. The only announcements I want to let you know about is we have uh, Easter's coming up, uh, and uh, it's going to be April 21st uh, from 9 to 10.45. The graphic was wrong last service, so uh, we, we told people it was April uh, uh, 22nd, so a bunch of people are going to show up here m- Monday after Easter. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but uh, it's the 21st, it turns out. Is that correct, team? Yeah. So it's the 21st, uh, and we really want to challenge you to invite someone to church, um, and uh, uh, it's something, there's people who might not go to church any other time, uh, but, the, you know, they'll come to church on Easter, and uh, we intentionally moved to two services, so there'll be space uh, to, for you to invite them. So we want to challenge you to do that. I'm not going to ask you to do anything I'm unwilling to do, so I've thought about this, and I've got a, an email um, ready to go out to some friends that I've been talking to. I've talked to them about church and about faith, and we've developed a relationship. In fact, my email, uh, and it's okay to invite someone via email, maybe you're like, I should do it in person. Okay, do it in person, but then if you're not going to do it in person, do it in email. You know, that's fine. You know, don't not invite them because you didn't get around to seeing them in person. Uh, so I got this email that says, it's been so great getting to know both of you during our work with um, a Celebrate One. There's some people we do uh, with Little Bombs Free Store. We chatted briefly a couple times about church, although it's been a while. I wasn't sure if you were looking for a place to go on Easter or if you were going to be out of town, but Central City now has two service times, 9 a.m. and 10.45. It should be a great service, and we'd love to have you stop by if you're in town. I think you'll really enjoy it. No pressure. Just a thought that I didn't want to forget to share. Thanks for all you do, Joe Graves. And then I had information about the service times. So, friends, does that sound okay? Is that okay? All right, I'm going to hit send. This is going to real people. We're going to see what happens. There it is. It's sending, sending, sent. So I encourage you to, uh, uh, you know, 
think about someone in your life that you might be able to invite to church, and it doesn't have to be threatening, doesn't have to be a high-pressure sale. Um, it can really just be, hey, I thought of this. I'd love for you to come. No pressure one way or the other. Um, so that's our challenge today, and we'll talk about that probably a little bit more in the service if the Spirit leads. Um, we're going to transition our time in uh, worship towards giving. Uh, we just uh, are so grateful to be a part of a generous church where people are supporting the ministry we do here, uh, all around the city in small groups and our work uh, amongst uh, families uh, addressing infant uh, vitality. And so um, I, there's a couple ways you can give. You can give online. You can give via text message, um, or you can give when the basket goes around. You can also place your Connect card in there. And we're, uh, we're just so grateful to be able to church that worships through giving. So with that, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll continue in our service. God, we just ask that you'd bless our lives and bless our resources, that you would help us um, see ourselves as stewards of things that you've given us, constantly shape and challenge us that we might not uh, have idols in our lives or things that we put above you, but help us to live as generous people with our time and our resources and our presence, with our friendship and our love for one another. Just help us be ever-increasingly generous. Come and speak to us today as we open the scripture and we look at your story, yet another story of your son, Jesus. We ask that you would just come and meet us in a personal way, cut through the distractions and the fears and the walls that we might know you. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. How deep the Father's love for how vast beyond all measure That he should give his only son To make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing loss The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory behold the man upon a cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed i hear my mind Till it was accomplished, his time. 
It's a joy to be with you all and uh, to spend some time uh, continuing our series on the journey to uh, Jerusalem. Um, we uh, we have uh, over the uh, season known in the history of the church as Lent, just been uh, looking at passages starting with Luke 10, working all the way to uh, the day where um, uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem and then eventually to Easter. Just been looking at this journey that Jesus is on where he's going through villages and teaching. And we started up in the northern part of the map. In fact, uh, Max, why don't we put up the map here? We started up north, probably near Nazareth, and um, and then he went around Samaria. He got rejected there. We talked about rejection a couple weeks ago, and he kind of worked his way down. And, and where we're stopping today is Jericho. Jericho is kind of the last stop before Jesus gets to Jerusalem and this kind of like this big dramatic campaign to Jerusalem. Um, he has one more stop. He'll stop through Bethany, um, but uh, after that he'll he'll come right up to the edge of Jerusalem and him entering Jerusalem is kind of a big moment in, in the life of the church. It's uh, if, you, if you kind of grew up in the church or you're familiar with the church world, uh, it's what we call Palm Sunday. It's where there's palms or branches where they would put down. We're going to look at that next week. We'll celebrate Palm Sunday and really kind of end our journey of working our way to Jerusalem and all of the things that we've learned along the way. Today, we're stopping in Jericho. We're looking at two stories that I'm really excited about, two guys, one by the name of Bartimaeus and one by the name of Zacchaeus. We're going to look at their stories side by side. I hope you'll find it interesting. Uh, It'll hopefully make you think at least, even if it's not interesting, Uh, but we will be digging into some scripture. Before we do that, though, um, just real quick, I want to do a quick survey. So my first question is this. And uh, I would say, you know, uh, have courage and, and let me know what your thought. But the first question, anyone who would answer it with a yes is probably going to raise their hand anyways. It's this. Is there anyone in the room who's the type of person who, if the food isn't right, you either let the waitress know or the waiter know or you send it back? Do we have anyone here like that? Got a few people? Yeah, just a few. Um, we had a lot more in the first service, for the record. Uh, they're just that bold. They got up early. We're a little more laid back here, I sense. Um, anyone here who gets embarrassed when that happens? Yeah, see, we are the laid back service. Oh, my days, like so many of you. You know, um, I, I, uh, I'm the type of person, like, I, I'm a little bit, get more embarrassed. I'm not as assertive as to get the food exactly the way I want it. I'll just deal with it being wrong. I do remember one day I was uh, going through the drive-thru, I think with Adam, I could be wrong though, uh, going through the drive-thru like McDonald's or something. And I forgot to order water. I wanted a glass of water and I was getting water at McDonald's, so good job to me. And um, I get up to the window where you don't order, where you get the food. That's the appropriate interaction in that window. And I'm like, hey, could I have a water order? Was that you, Adam? Yeah. yeah. And you're and you're and you're like, boy, that was bold, man. I would have just gone without the water, because that's not what that window's for. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, and I get that. Um, I want to suggest today, though, as you think about like what it means, like there's a sense that like boldness um, is often a thin line between boldness and embarrassment. Um, not necessarily for yourself, because someone who's bold usually isn't embarrassed, but maybe for those or for the social norms, um, someone who would stand up and and be that kind of bold might be uh, line up with boldness and embarrassment, have a relationship of some sort. I want to suggest today there's a lot of ways to define faith. There's a lot of ways to define faith. We can talk about faith from a lot of different perspectives. This passage, the two passages we're going to look at, I want to suggest that faith has this unique, you want to understand faith, it means doing something because you believe that is a little bold and might be perceived as embarrassing. Okay? That's one way to define faith, and it's the way we're going to look at it today. So hold on to that. We're not going to get that 
get to that until a little bit later, but one of the ways to define faith is being that kind of bold enough person that you're going to do something that the society or your friends or your group or whatever says that's a little off-putting, but I'm going to do it because um, I, I, I believe something, and it's important to me. So, we're going to do that. So we're looking at a passage in Luke. We've been working our way through Luke. If you have a Bible or if you have a smartphone, you can follow along. And uh, we're really going to focus on a couple verses in 18 and 19 of Luke. It's one of the Gospels. Um, but I want to give you some context. A lot of these passages in uh, Luke 17, 18, and 19 have a particular theme. Not only are they happening as Jesus gets closer to Jericho, and the two we look at have to do with him Uh, what happens outside of Jericho and what happens inside of Jericho. But there's um, some other themes going on with the passages leading up to that. And the theme has to do with the rich and the poor. And it's just one of the topics that Jesus is covering as he gets closer to Jericho. I don't know, maybe it's because he's getting closer. He's leaving sort of the more rural area of the north, and he's getting closer to the city where there's this great, oftentimes, even today, wealth disparity, social economic divide between the wealthy and the poor. Whatever the reason be, as he gets closer to Jerusalem, and specifically Jericho, he starts talking about interacting with this dip between the wealthy and the poor. So, for example, one of the parables he tells um, in... Um, in chapter 18 is this parable about a widow and a judge. So the widow, of course, in this ancient world, and even still today sometimes, because there wasn't a safety net, there wasn't a way for a widow to work, um, would often be very poor, have very little influence in the community. And this widow encounters a judge who would have not only power, but probably wealth, still true today. Judges tend to not be poor. Um, And so there's this wealth and power against this widow who has neither. And it's a parable about how she won't leave him alone, and he eventually gives in because she won't leave him alone. That's the parable. But it's this interaction between this power and this wealth and this poverty and this lack of influence. And then he tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Once again, there's this power and wealth structure. You've got the religious Pharisees with their self-righteousness and the tax collector who is known for being wealthy. And then after that, there's another story. It's a story that has been convicting in the, in the history of the Christian church. It's about this rich young ruler. He's, he's rich, he's young, and he has power. So it's like all the things we want in the world. And he goes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the commandments. And he says, I've done that since I was a kid. And Jesus says, well, one thing you lack: Sell everything you have and give to the poor. So here's Jesus' interaction with somebody who is wealthy and young and powerful And he says, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Once again, it's this conversation, this tension between the wealth and the poor. Well, the passages we want to look at as Jesus enters Jericho, he runs into this guy by the name of Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is blind and he's a beggar. So he's homeless. He has no way to take care of himself. He can't see, so he can't work. Once again, there's no social safety nets. There's no social security. There's nothing to protect him. He obviously didn't have family. Maybe he was abandoned as a child. If he was born poor, he might have been just abandoned. He's living on the street, and he begs. The lowest of the low. And then he enters Jericho, and he runs into this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, how many of you know Zacchaeus? How many of you know the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a safe. You don't know this one? Lord, you should got to learn this one. We're going to do it in worship next week. And he, he said, oh, that's the Lord. Yeah, sorry. He looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. 
for you. Coming to the house today. I'm going to your house today. I, yeah, no, we're going to do the whole song. No, we're going to do the whole song. <laughs> there is no second verse. That's the whole story. How many knew that song? If you didn't, you're not, you're not, it's fine. You're, you'll be all right. Yeah, you're not missing much. Yeah, no, this is a kid's, this is a song you'd learn in certain, you know, churches at a young age. And it, and it covers the entire story of Zacchaeus. And that's Zacchaeus' story. He's, he's this wealthy tax collector. Jesus interacts with him. Before we get into, we're going to look at Bartimaeus, we're going to look at Zacchaeus. In fact, we're going to look at them side by side. This is a form of a biblical interpretation. It's very common. You look at stories that have similar forms, and then you compare and contrast them. So guys, we're going to seminary today. I, I hope you were ready for that. I'm going to make it as interesting and not boring as possible. This is a legit legitimate way to interpret scripture. So we hold these passages next to each other because they follow a similar form and they fall right next to each other. And we compare and contrast and we look at, um, uh, we look at them and we see what kind of new things we can learn when we compare them to each other. Okay. So that's what we're going to do today. Before we do that, the first thing I want to say is this. All of these passages have to do with Jesus talking about and interacting with both the poor and the wealthy. It is common for us 2,000 years ago and today, for us to associate, talk about, and be in relationship with people at a similar socioeconomic class. Normal. If that is you, if you only know people who make similar amount of money as you, that's normal. That is not the way of Jesus, though. Jesus encountered this world in such a different way. One moment, he would be interacting with, loving, and being friends with uh, the poorest of the poor, and then he would be at the home of one of the wealthiest people in the city in the same day. That's the way of Jesus. And I say that to you because we're going to look at both of these passages. They both have an encounter with Jesus. The poorest of the poor and the wealthiest of the wealthiest both have an encounter with Jesus. Their stories are strangely similar. And so what I say to you is this, regardless of where you find yourself, in the socioeconomic class of, your, of our day, where, upper class, lower class, whatever, or somewhere in between, I'm going to suggest that when we look at these two stories and the great breath that they, they bring from one place to the other, that you can probably fit and experience God in a similar way, that, that Jesus is still interested in getting to know you, regardless of where you find yourself. Okay? And that's the way of Jesus. He doesn't just focus on one particular thing. And, and honestly, this is, goes down a rabbit trail and a bit of a soap opera. You know, it's typical for churches even to just focus on one particular socioeconomic class. Plant churches in only particular neighborhoods. And I'm not saying just wealthy neighborhoods. There's churches that only work in poor neighborhoods. It's a, it's a strange thing. It's a normal thing, but it's not the way of Jesus. He's encountering and willing to be in relationship with people from diverse backgrounds. So that's what we want to be about as well. So let's look at these two diverse people from different worlds, what their encounter with Jesus looks like. We're going to do that side by side, and uh, hopefully we don't lose too many people as we do it. So let's set the stage first. First, we'll start with Luke 18, 35 to 43. And we'll also, at the other side, um, we have Luke 19, 1 through 10, and you'll see the passages pop up between those two, so we can all stay on the same page. So this is how it starts. Um, with uh, Bartimaeus. It says here, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So this is the setting. Jesus, of course, is on his way to Jerusalem. He's 
entering. He's at the gate of Jericho. It was normal for um, someone who needed, uh, who would beg or be on the street asking for people's support to be near that gate. A lot of merchants would come and go. It was a common thing. still common today, right? In major intersections or major gates, you'll have people sitting outside looking. It's It's a good place to do it. He, of course, can't see that Jesus is coming. He only hears Jesus coming, or he hears something happening, and he asks about it, and they tell him it's Jesus. He wouldn't even have known without asking because he can't see, so he only hears. But what's interesting is in this passage and in Luke's version of this story, we don't know his name, do we? It's just a blind man. We told Zacchaeus his name. We don't know his name in Luke's story. Um, but this story also f- is found in the book of Mark. Luke would have probably been familiar with Mark and certainly pulled from Mark when he was writing Mark. And in Mark, we know the, the blind man's name, Bartimaeus. So Luke intentionally leaves his name out, I would suggest, almost to further emphasize the level of anonymous animosity that, that, that happens amongst the poor. Zacchaeus with wealth and position is the type of name that would carry on, it would have a legacy, but this is just a poor blind man, even though we know what his name is, and his name's Barnabas. And so he's there, he asks, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus, who did most of his ministry in the north, is finally coming here. That's the setting for Barnabas. So let's go to jump 19, look at the setting for Zacchaeus. It says here, so Jesus later entered Jericho and was passing through. The man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and was wealthy. So you you get the sense that these are just completely different people, aren't they? Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. This is what that meant. The Romans would shop out their taxes. So you didn't pay Rome directly to, you didn't pay taxes directly to Rome, you would pay taxes to a tax collector. And chief tax collectors didn't just collect money, they managed tax collectors, and this is how they would do it. They would have to be wealthy first. So they would take a bid, and they would say, hey, Rome, I'm gonna pay ahead of time the taxes you want from this particular region, and then I'll do the business of going and collecting them. So Zacchaeus would have had a large sum of money, say, just randomly, they wouldn't have dollars, but just work with me. They say, hey, Rome, I'll send you the $10,000 that we owe for this particular region, and then you don't have to worry about the taxes. I'll go and collect them. Well, what that did is gave them a lot of freedom to collect them however they wanted. And so it was very common, and you see it, you'll find out this is what Zacchaeus was doing. He pays the taxes ahead of time to Rome, and then he collects 20000 or 30000 from the people in that particular region, and he pockets all of it because he's already paid what he needed to Rome. And so he was very wealthy. He was also greatly despised because he was a Jewish person doing the work of the Romans. Um, So he would have been an enemy of of Judaism, and people would not have liked him. All right, so that's the setting for Zacchaeus. Let's jump back to Bartimaeus. So uh, verse uh, 38, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus is sitting along the side of the road. He hears something happening. They tell him it's Jesus. And friends, he wouldn't know. He couldn't pick Jesus out of a crowd. He wouldn't know where Jesus was. He, didn't, he couldn't see. The only thing he could do was yell. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So that's all he can do. His hope is is that someone out there, including maybe Jesus, will hear him and he'll have a chance to meet Jesus. But that's all he can do is yell. Let's look at um, what Zacchaeus does. Verse 3 of 19 says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Isn't this interesting? Bartimaeus 
wanted uh, mercy so that he could gain sight. He was blind. That's what he wanted healing from. What did Zacchaeus want? He wanted to what? He wanted to see. He wanted to see Jesus. They have actually a lot in common. They both wanted to see. Barnabas wanted to see, uh, you know, like wanted to see everything um, and hoped that Jesus could help him with that. And, but Zacchaeus, there was something in him that wanted to see Jesus. And, and, and friends, if I was to leave this anywhere, it, it, one of the big points of this story, there's so many stories in Scripture, is that the number one thing, the number one requirement, faith, what it means to have faith or what it means to, to have salvation is you got to want it. That's it. You just got to want it. He wanted sight. Zacchaeus wanted Jesus. There was this desire, and so much so, look what they do. Go back to, uh, go back to Bartimaeus. Um, he, uh, um, he cries out, and then verse 39, it says, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. This is standard. I mean, just imagine with me that any celebrity, even a celebrity pastor who's coming with an entourage, if you can imagine such a thing, um, or any sort of celebrity or political leader goes through a city and they're crossing through some homeless and the homeless start yelling out, you know, hey, have mercy on me. Come and help me. The entourage, by default, just like naturally, is going to like, all right, you need to be quiet. We're doing something else here. He's about to enter Jerusalem. This is a big deal. Palm Sunday, have you heard of it? This is happening real soon. And so you just stop being annoying. And so they try to quiet him. They try to push him aside. And this is standard. I don't want to, do, I don't want to belittle Bartimaeus's weakness here. He, he was blind. He wanted to see. But you know what made his blindness worse? Everyone else's. Because they don't want to see him. I wish 2,000 years later, after Jesus came, died, rose again, that that somehow changed, but it hasn't, has it? There are people who just rather not see. They get pushed out of neighborhoods, pushed out of various places. I, I'm, I, we do a lot of work with the homeless, even. Uh, and I live in an environment where homeless pass by all the time uh, by my house. And um, we have ministry amongst the poor. And I'm, when I'm walking and there's a, someone who might identify as a beggar or a panhandler or whatever the correct term is and is looking, I'll brush them off just as much as, I mean, they do nothing out of the ordinary saying, be quiet, this is not the time or the place. And that's pretty much what I say. Sorry, I can't help you right now. And so it still happens today. But look at what happens with Zacchaeus. Jump back to Zacchaeus' story. He wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. See, Zacchaeus has his own physical limitation. He's not blind, but he is short. And even though he has power and wealth, this is a hindrance for him. And he wants to see Jesus. And what's interesting is both of them are being prevented from seeing Jesus by other people. One, because I'm short and there's this huge crowd around him, and the other one, because they're rebuking him and making him stop talking, trying to settle him down. I want to say, friends, that one of the biggest hindrances to you ever encountering Jesus is going to probably be other people. What they say to you, what they say about him, their opinion of it. I met so many people, specifically been hurt by religious individuals, people who claim to be followers of Jesus. They've been hurt. They've left the church, and now... They want to see Jesus, they want to know Jesus, and there's a wall that keeps them from doing it. They become a crowd. They're too short, and they can't see over the crowd. Or they're blind, and no, everyone's trying to get them to be quiet. And so I challenge you to think in your life, who are those people? What are those walls? What are those experiences that are keeping you? Because both Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus had it. But look what they do next. Bartimaeus does this. 
So they tried to quiet him, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, this is that person in the restaurant who goes so far that everyone else is embarrassed. Like, he's not going to be quiet. He's not going to give up. He's like, no, I'm, you're not going to get me to shut up. I'm going to be persistent and annoying. I'm going to be like that persistent widow that you, re- you can read about in the chapter previous. I'm going to be that. I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm going to get louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. So he gets even louder, hoping that someone will hear it. And Zacchaeus does the same thing. Zacchaeus does, uh, says, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Here's what you need to realize about this. Um, just as bold and embarrassing as someone yelling when they're told to be quiet might be, Zacchaeus is just as bold as, as, and embarrassing. In, in the ancient world, and, and even maybe in some places today, there, there's taboos. There's things that you just don't do. And as a grown man, it, this might be strange to you. Maybe it makes sense to you. But it just was culturally unacceptable for a grown professional man to run. It's just, it's embarrassing. You got your robes and your, you know, like your jewelry and you're a professional, you don't run. And it's probably still true in some places, but you just don't. And you certainly don't climb trees, which some of us in the room, you know, like that sounds like a boring life. You know, you can't run, you can't climb trees, but it was. It would be embarrassing for a grown man to go running around climbing trees. And, and, And sure, there's people like Zacchaeus, you know, people don't, people don't like you already. Why are you making a fool of yourself? Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus are both willing to potentially embarrass themselves to get close to Jesus. And they're not going to let other people stop them. Two people from completely different worlds. And they're both willing to embarrass themselves in their own way to get close to Jesus. Going on, Bartimaeus' story. Uh, So Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. You know, Jesus didn't just talk to the man. He didn't, he didn't ask for him. To be, he had to order the entourage, whoever was his 12 disciples and other people who had gathered, to bring the man because that's how opposed they were to him getting close to Jesus. He had to order them to be brought to Jesus. They were bold, even to the point of being embarrassing, and Jesus took notice. And he ordered him to be brought. Zacchaeus is the same story. Next verse, it says, when Jesus reached the spot that Zacchaeus was up on the tree, he stopped and he looked up. And you know what? It's interesting because I almost kind of imagine the blind beggar, you know, kind of having this posture of like, of begging, pleading, please give him, you know, have mercy on me. I almost feel like he might be fall to his knees before Jesus, which was common amongst especially the working and the lower class. So here's this blind beggar down on his floor pleading with Jesus. But then with Zacchaeus, it's almost like symbolic in a way because Jesus is like looking up to him. And of course, he's this man of like, low stature in regards to height, but like a lot of power, a lot of wealth, you know, and so he's like looking up, and I don't know if that means something or not, but it's interesting, and both of them, though, t- are, are noticed by Jesus, and so look what Jesus does. When he came near, uh, Bartimaeus, when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus does when he talks to Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. He says specifically, he asks him a question, what do you want me to do for you? Look what he does for Zacchaeus, this wealthy, um, you know, powerful person. He says to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and welcomed him gladly. I find this interesting because um, asking someone a question is actually a little bit more of a, of a way to give honor to someone than, in, than inviting yourself over for dinner. 
wouldn't you say? The like, like taking time to say, hey, what are, what are your thoughts on this is actually a little bit more like uplifting than saying, hey, I'm going to go to your house. And it would be common to say someone who was lower in your class to say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and you know, use some of your resources because I'm above you. And it would be common then for someone above you to say, hey, what do you think about this and get their thoughts? Jesus flips it. To the blind beggar, he says, what would you like for me to do for you? What are your thoughts on this? Uplifting. And to Zacchaeus, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to go eat dinner at your house and sleep there for the next couple days until we move to Jerusalem. Jesus takes those, and you see this over and over in Scripture. He takes those who tend to be up here, and he brings them down just a little bit, and he takes those who tend to be there, and he brings them up a little bit, and that's just the way of Jesus. That's just the way of Jesus. That's, what, that's how he interacts with people. In fact, the Old Testament and the New Testament says it like this. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. It's the best way to summarize it. So he goes on, um, uh, and this is the man's response. He says, Lord, I want to see, he replied, and Jesus said to him, receive your sight. So he asked him the question, and the guy says, well, what I want, what I really want is I want, I want my eyesight back. And Jesus says, so you can have your eyesight. This is what we call a miracle. There's a lot of them in the Gospels. And miracle stories tend to follow a particular format. They, they have a particular way of telling that story. They encounter Jesus. They, you know, there's this, this format to miracle stories. And so one of the reasons why we're comparing these is these stories are, are both miracle stories. So this is the miracle in Bartimaeus. He gets his sight back. Look at the miracle for Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. These stories happen next to each other, and they follow a similar format because you're supposed to realize something. You're supposed to realize that just as much as someone getting sight when they've been blind is a miracle that's unexplainable and miraculous, and how could that even be possible? Maybe it wasn't, and someone made it up, and it's a fairy tale, and all. It's a miracle. How do I make sense of that? The writers of Luke say, or Luke says, Zacchaeus giving half of his possession away and making right everyone he's wronged is just as big of a miracle. And just as much as Bartimaeus was healed, in this act, Zacchaeus was healed as well. It's almost the sense that Bartimaeus is like, his arms are open, Lord, give me. Like, Bartimaeus' experience with Jesus is to receive. I need sight. Please give me what I need. And Jesus gives it to him. And, but Zacchaeus also open arms, but his is what? His is not necessarily receiving something directly. It's more about his act of giving it away. But both of them help them become more whole individuals. So this is what happens. For Bartimaeus, Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And to Zacchaeus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Both of these individuals receive salvation, deliverance, healing that was so unique to them and still powerfully miraculous. I was talking to somebody after the service, uh, the first service, and, and they said, you know, like even today, someone giving away half their possession would be a miracle. Like, yeah, it would be. It would be a miracle. Impossible. Fairy tale. That would never happen. Just like someone getting sight who'd been born blind. 
miracle and possible. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you were to be hungry for Jesus or hope to interact with Jesus or hope to encounter Jesus, what it is you would ask or what Jesus would ask of you. That's the difference in these two stories. One, Jesus asks what they want, and the other one, Jesus tells them what they have to do in a sense, that they have to be generous. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your, what your experience is, but I do know it starts with open hands, either receiving or letting go where you can experience God's salvation. Um, and, and, and I want to share just these brief thoughts. This is a, just as a summary and a way of reflecting. Here's a couple of points I want, I want you to, to walk away with. First off, both of these guys, they wanted to see Jesus. Two, they were willing to be bold and embarrassing. Three, they weren't going to let anyone stop them. Four, Jesus took notice. That's the part you can't control. That's the risky part. You're like, well, if I do something bold or if I do something risky, like giving away half of my stuff or, or yelling out in a crowd that's embarrassing, will Jesus even take notice? Jesus took notice. We trust that Jesus would as well. And they both experienced a miracle. I'm going to invite the band to come up. As we prepare to close, I want to invite you to spend some time reflecting on this. What, what does this look like for you? Do, you? do you want it? Because I think that's one of the only prerequisites to, to, to knowing Christ is, is to have some sort of hunger, some sort of desire. Do you want it? Or, or, or That's the narrow gate. It's, it's not having your life together. It's not living a certain way. It's just like, no, do you want it? Are you, do you, are you hungry for something that you believe Jesus will be able to fix, that Jesus will be able to fill, that Jesus will be able to heal? If you want it, it's yours. If you don't want it, then I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. They're willing to be bold and embarrassed. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it is inviting someone to church. I would say in our, in our culture today, that's a very potentially embarrassing thing to do. Um, you know, I sent that email, and now I'm going to, like, sit with a level of anxiety until they reply or not reply. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's something else, but what does it mean for you to be bold and embarrassing, to take a step? To, to like, and if you feel like you've been knocked down in your life, what does it mean to just not let people quiet you? And if you've taken advantage of other people, what does it mean to, to let go and start showing compassion and love like Zacchaeus? Wh- whatever, I don't know where you're at. I don't know your story, but what does it mean to do something bold, even to the point of embarrassing? And what does it mean to trust that you won't let other people stop you and that Jesus will take notice? So I'm going to give us just a few moments to think about that, to wrestle with that to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your hearts. And then we'll pray, and we'll have our closing song. So let's take some time and reflect. God, we pray for healing and deliverance. For whatever it is in our lives that we've been holding on to or that have been tripping us up, we ask that you would 
inspire within us if we've been beaten down and quieted to give us the courage to rise up and to say, Son of man, Son of God, Son of David, have mercy on me. I will not be quieted. I will not be pushed aside. And if we at, at times have used our privilege or our, our position to take advantage, that you would change our hearts and help us to become truly generous, that we would be people who are willing to let go so that we could be made whole, be the people you called us to. And in all of this, wherever we are in this journey, whatever it is we're working with, Lord, make us whole. Heal us so that we can be the people you created us to be. So, Lord, we come before you just as you taught your disciples, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.